Uh, my name is Karen McNary, and I have been asked to share um, what I do here, but I really should say that I am, like Brother Corey, I'm one who is very grateful that I've had my sins taken away from me. Uh, and I'm also, I also serve as a woman shepherd here. So this morning, I will be reading from the book of Acts, uh, chapter 9, verses 26 through 35. And it reads, When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoke to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him to Caesarea and sent him to Tarsus, his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place, and he came down to visit the believers in the town of Lydda. There he met a man named Aeneas, who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. Then the whole population of Lydda and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around, and they turned to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central. So, how many of you remember not too long ago uh, with some of the beauty contests where they would, uh, the finalists were asked that question, what, is, what are you passionate about? And it was that one answer that everybody laughed at. Do you remember that answer? World peace. <laughs> World peace. Uh, and and we, we would laugh because we're thinking like, oh my gosh, like, how, you know, how can you pick something more impossible, right, to... Uh, to, to try to achieve something that you'd be passionate about. Hey, it just sounds like something that you just came up with. Like, uh, um, obviously, if you were being realistic, you would come up with a something, something a whole lot better, like maybe like, uh, you know, like Lucky Charms for breakfast. I don't know, like, you know, something a bit more realistic, something a more approachable. But, um, but listen, you know, even as we think about that, right, there's, um, think of this place. Think of Charlotte. Charlotte is a wonderful city. It's the queen city. And many people move to cities like this because they, they don't want to achieve small things. They want to achieve great things, right? Um, and there are people who, you know, a lot of you who went to college, right? You spent a lot of money. You spent a lot of sleepless nights in your, your college days because you wanted to achieve great things. And there are people who join rallies and sign petitions because you want to achieve great things, right? You want to be a part of a great cause, but we're challenged, of course, from various sectors of society to be great citizens, to do our part, right, to create a better future for all who call this planet home. That is uh, something that we all sense and feel to, at some level, whether it's in our workplace or in our families, uh, whether uh, we feel the weight of trying to make this entire world a better place or just our little part of the world a better place. We're making the world better for coming generations, right? And, we, uh, and that, that's a noble cause. That's something that is good to give yourself to. 
And it also implies that something is wrong with the world, that not everything is right. And so we gather our communities, we gather our gifts, we gather our words together to correct the world's course, only to bump into the ironic thing, which is what? In our efforts to unite our neighbors together for something better, we end up creating more divisions. Right? Uh, we're unable to agree upon what exactly is wrong with this world. And if, and if we uh, can at least agree on that, we may uh, still uh, be unable to agree on how to move forward in addressing what is wrong with the world. And this happens, right? This happens in our homes. It happens with our roommates. It happens in our families. It happens between children and parents. And it happened in my, in my own, the history of my own ethnic group. I think of Booker T. Washington and Du Bois. I think of Dr. King and Malcolm X. Right? And it's happened in the church. Right? You think of the great split that happened between Western Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox churches. Right? And who can count in this country alone just how many Protestant networks we have in megachurches and storefronts and startups and all kinds of different flavors. Right? Um, we, we try to unite to do something that is good for this world, and we end up experiencing more divisions. In our efforts to promote the common good, something creates fracture. Something creates fracture. So how then can we have hope for making progress in our day? Hey, and when, uh, after all, no one wants to wake up in the morning knowing that everything that you're doing is just a royal waste of time. Right? And we aren't the first generation to wrestle with these questions. After all, text this morning, right, it, 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 situates, uh, it, it situates us, as we read it and, and kind of sip on it a little bit, it situates us in this pre-modern world uh, where many desired peace and prosperity for themselves and for their children. They wanted world peace. And the Roman Empire ruled the day through domination and autocracy and some form of a cultural, religious caste system. And meanwhile, our main players in the text this morning are Saul and Peter, and they came from the Israelites. And their people were waiting for their God to liberate them from foreign powers and to establish a divinely governed kingdom through a promised Messiah. What is a Messiah? It is a chosen king, someone who would rule over the known world with wisdom and with justice for the peace of all nations and all people groups, as we heard in the creed this morning. But even among their people, there was wide disagreement as to what way of life would motivate God to send this great liberator, his holy and righteous representative on the earth. And, and this is way before social media, right? And so way before we had the, the issues that we have today with social media, you had social and political discussion, and these discussions could get pretty heated, and they even led to violence and, in some cases, outbreaks of persecution. Certainly, you and I, our society ha today has evolved beyond such things, right? We've gone past that. We don't struggle with that, right? <laughs> we, don't, we don't know anything about the use of sarcasm and ridicule and bullying and all that kinds of stuff and violence, right, to achieve our visions of peace, right? We don't know anything about that. Um, of course we do. Of course we struggle with that. And yet in a world not too different from our own, what we see, and I hope what you saw already in this text, are ordinary people who are being used to bring uh, spiritual psychological 
and physical healing. And that these were ordinary people who were being used to create a new society, a new society where different groups and, and peoples would, went beyond tolerating one another to loving each other and becoming a family. My burden then this morning for us is to get into that same work, to participate in that same mission, as it were, to be a collective presence of God's peace in our times and to be able to rise each day knowing that we're not just wasting our time. But we need to get into, we have, we have to get into, uh, um, uh, you know, what uh, the, the, certain, the certain walk that has been presented to us by the apostles here. It's, so it's not just a technique. It's not a 10-step kind of program to get into this thing. But it, it's, a, it's a path. It's a journey. And we have to be able to get into this. Like how, so how do we walk as the apostles walked in this text? Well, we are challenged to walk in humility. And we're challenged to walk in comfort. We're challenged to walk in humility and we're challenged to walk in comfort. It is the humility that comes by the Son of God and the comfort that comes by the Spirit of God. And we see these things as we watch the apostles here in this text. So if we're to, get in, if we're to learn how to become and to practice the presence of God's peace in our world today, then we need to walk the same way that the apostles did, and that is in humility and in comfort. So let me dig into this a little bit. Humility. Well, first of all, who are, the, who are these apostles that we're, we're following here, right? The, those of you, many of you already know, apostles simply means sent ones, right? That's what apostles means. And the, these are the, the men who were sent to lead the charge as peacemaking ambassadors of Jesus by Jesus himself. And But we may look at the apostles even here in this text and go, like, I'm, I'm not doing that. Like, I don't want to go through what those apostles went through. I don't, I don't want to follow that path, right? And uh, they, they were so bold and they put themselves in, in harm's way so that, uh, so that lives could be changed and lives could be saved. And they even healed people. The Lord used them. So they're healing bodies and saving lives. And as they were putting themselves in harm's way, and, and sure, you can look at them and go, man, these guys are they're surely making a huge difference if they're able to incite large crowds, right, to stand to come and against them. And even in the midst of these crowds, they're curing diseases. Like, that's an incredible thing, right? That's not anything to shake a stick at. These men are amazing. And yet, what we need to pay attention to is not so much what they do, but who they are. Saul, think of him. What happened to Saul and what happened to Peter? Saul was a man who envied the prosperity of others, right? And he was the one who uh, participated in inciting the imprisonment and even the execution of Christians, right? And Peter had hidden biases against different ethnic groups, and he betrayed Jesus to his face. So keep this in mind as we think about these men, okay? Saul was a, like, Saul, this is, hey, this is who Saul was. Saul was a murderer, all right? And, and, and Peter was like, he's, you know, he had ethnic prejudice, Right? So I'm not going to say, well, I didn't get into it. Never mind. Never mind. You're going to say I'm not going to say racist because racism is something that's a modern thing and whatever. So we don't want to put that into the Bible. Anyway, all right. Moving on. Um, so um, Saul thought that he was righteous. 
right? So if you remember his, his life story, and if, you, if you're not familiar with his life story, you can read the book of Galatians, you can read through the book of Acts, and you can read up on Saul and sort of what his sort of moral journey was like and kind of the way that he saw himself spiritually. And he was what we would call self-righteous. And so he would look at these other Christians and he would go, hey, look, right? We, we need God to come back. We need him to restore the world. We need him to save us. And these people who are part of the way, right, the way of Jesus, they're going to get us condemned. And so like, and so in order to, in order to get rid of them, like I'm, I'm willing to have them in prison and even executed, right? This is the kind of man that we're, that we're talking about. But, but Saul was not willing to face the truth about himself until he was struck blind, right? And then Peter thought that he was pious, he thought, man, do you remember when, when Jesus at some point, he finally starts talking to his disciples and to the apostles, and he's like, look, you know, I'm, I'm going to die. Right? But, the, but in, in three days, like, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. But then three days later, like, I will rise again. And, and Peter's like, no, no, I'm, you know, I'm not going to abandon you. Right? I'm going to stand firm. I'll be with you. Right, Jesus? Yeah, I'm, I'm there for you, Jesus. And Jesus tells him, <laughs> no, you will betray me. Peter would not face the truth until the rooster actually crowed. To see ourselves as Peter and Saul had to, right, before the face of God brings pain because it shows us our weaknesses. In the face of a holy and strong God, we see how just unholy and how weak we are and how much help that we need. Right? And it is only through this that we actually come to adore our creator and to develop solidarity with the rest of humanity. Otherwise, we walk around with overinflated egos. Right? So, so to put this another way, humility is the path to growing in love for God and growing in love for our neighbors. This is one of the things that we see as we watch these apostles. So as long as Saul didn't take an honest look at himself under God's law and stay there, Right? He, he could categorize his opponents, other, other people, as inferior and even convince himself that he had God's favor. Right? And, 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 and this is even, it's even worse than that, just saying like, oh, I've got the favor of God. Hey, not only do I have the favor of God, I'm doing God a favor. Man, I'm blessing him. Right? So, so Paul, but Paul wasn't able to do that work, or Saul at the time. Right? He's, and he's kind of got this attitude you know, before we get to this text, like he has this attitude, hey, God, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't really need to learn from you anymore. Like me and my people, we got this, right? We have, we have this together. Like we can, we can take it from here. Thank, thank you, God. You got us to this place. Like we can take it from here. Of course, even as you hear that, hopefully you're beginning to ask yourself, how do I do this in my own life? Like what are those places, what are those different places in my life and uh, at, at, my, at my job or in my home, in my, in my relationships where I'm just, well, I'm kind of like, uh, I don't need God's law anymore. I don't need to continue to listen to him anymore. I don't need to get up in the morning and rise and read God's word and hear from him because he, he brought me this far and now I can take it from here, right? So I, I don't need to listen to God anymore. I don't need to pray. I don't need to read scripture. I don't need to consult God, you know, when I'm faced with these, these different decisions, like, uh, I, I've got this, right? I don't need this. I don't need him. 
And then think about Peter. As long as Peter could deceive himself, he could go on believing that he was the most trustworthy man in the entire world, even though Jesus himself told him what he would do. He deceived himself. So you think about this. I'm like, man, these are some overinflated egos that these men were struggling with. But listen, let's have a little bit of compassion on them, especially as we think about what you and I face today. And what I'm talking about particularly is our own culture. Like our culture teaches us, it says to us that we must be competent. We must be ever worthy of rising to every occasion, never in need of forgiveness, right? If we're, if we're too weak before others, then uh, that, that means that people will then take advantage of you, and you don't want that, right? So you, you've got to have it all together. And then, but then um, every opportunity that God has given us for flourishing goes out the window. This is how we think. Oh, this is all, all the opportunities for, for flourishing that we think is just going to go out of the window as soon as I shed some tears, right? If, if I show that I'm weak, that I'm grieving, that I don't have everything together, like I'm not going to be able to flourish because the only way to flourish is to be strong, to have might, right? Might is what makes right, right? This, right? That, and if I don't have it all together, I can't make it. I can't show that I have need, that I'm needy, that I have weakness. I mean, you know, some, you know, our young people in here, like y'all, y'all know, like, especially like in middle school, what happens to you if you show a little bit of weakness? Right? When folk come, like, they come after you, right? The, the bullies, like, you're their target. I mean, it's just crazy, right? So, I mean, so we, I mean, you know what it's like, right? You know what I'm talking about. And, but it's not just, in, not just in middle school, right? And it's just, it happens to us adults, right? As grown-ups, like in different parts of our communities. If we show any kind of weakness, it's like somebody else is going to come out of somewhere and they're going to come after you and take the things that you desire, take the things that you love, take away your, the, all the, uh, the potential and the possibilities that you have stored up in your heart for particular goals. They'll destroy your plans if you show that you're weak. There's no room for pain. The pain that comes from putting your ego under the, the, God, the gaze of Jesus, right? Just, there's, there's no room for that kind of pain when you're trying to secure peace for yourself and you're trying to keep your world together. Whether it's like, again, if, you, if you're concerned about global issues and you're trying to keep some of those things together or it's your little part of the world that you're trying to keep together, like you don't have time and you don't have the space to be able to deal with the pain that comes from humbling yourself before God, right? Don't let God be a mirror to you and show you yourself. But then if you can't do that, who will heal your grief then? Who will be there? Who will God send? How will God be able to step into your life and heal what needs to be healed? But if we try to do it ourselves, how do we do it? We use alcohol, we use career, we use someone else's bedroom, we use our child's success, we use cynicism, we use some political cause that allows us to dump all of our frustrations on the so-called other side, right? And who or what can save you from yourself without dehumanizing you? Think about this. If I can't go to God as my rescue, and admit my weakness, where can I go? And where can I go without 
that thing or that person dehumanizing me. It's impossible. But if we are left in our tears before God, if we're left humbling ourselves before God, we will find someone who will wipe away our tears and cover us with his mercy. And that is how Paul and Peter were changed. Saul and Peter encountered the Son of God. Every single day, every single second of their lives, they were unable to escape themselves, right? And, and neither are we. Every single minute of the day, we cannot escape ourselves. We cannot escape uh, uh, the, the levels of, of grief that we are experiencing deep down in our souls. We just can't get away from it. We deceive ourselves sometimes and we live out of deep anger and resentment toward ourselves and we seek healing and relationships and possessions that weren't meant to heal. And every single moment of your life, you feel the weight of your grief. But the good news is that there's mercy. The mercy of the risen Lord turned Peter, a traitor, into a relentless shepherd. The mercy of the risen Lord turned Saul, an enemy of the church, an enemy of God, into Paul, the greatest missionary that this world has ever known. Right? And how will the mercy of God change your life? That is an invitation for you this morning. Right? To, to go before God and to, to allow him to see the weaknesses within your, your soul, your heart, whether it's something that needs to be healed or something that needs to be changed, admitting these things before him so that you can receive his mercy and his mercy will change you. Here's one thing that will happen as, as a result of his mercy. You'll become a little bit more tender toward yourself, toward your own heart, like not holding it in judgment all the time, right? Because a lot of times that's what's driving you and being bitter toward other people and stuff because inwardly you're being bitter toward yourself. You can't let yourself off the hook for things that you've done. And, and guess what? That, that, that's right. Like, you're, you can't forgive your sins. <laughs> Only God has the authority to forgive sins, right? Uh, so, so then you have to give yourself to God. But as you do that to him, if you're, or if you're not doing that, you're not giving your heart over to him and you're not giving your pride or because of your pride, you're not giving yourself over to him, then you've got to handle all that stuff by yourself. So then we begin to judge other people who are not, who look like they don't have their stuff together, right? Um, you know, I, I laugh sometimes because one of the ways that, that I struggle with this is, um, if I can call it this, is uh, traffic righteousness. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? Especially when I'm on 277. I just, I'm like, come on, somebody, I'm like, there's that little switch right there next to your steering wheel. All you got to do is hit that and the light comes on. When you want to turn left, and you hit it the other way, and, it turn, and the other light comes on if you want to turn right. It's super easy. They put it right there behind your steering wheel. But no, you just got to slide right into the lane at 70 miles an hour and risk taking my life. Thank you. Right? But, but you know, but I, I look at that and I judge, and I'm like, man, these people don't know how to drive, and what's wrong with these people, and stuff like that. And, God, and Lord, I hope none of them come from New York like I'm from, you know, because they're like, they're misrepresenting my people right now, and all that, you know, it's all this kind of deal. You know, and I'm just judging. <laughs> um, however, 
And when, when I see myself, when I see my own, the, the infractions, the, the moving violations that I have come close to and have actually committed, right, then I ought to be a little bit like, you know, okay, if somebody's about to run you off the road, you get angry, okay, right? Like, that's, that's different. But, but, it's, but this whole idea of, like, just evaluating other people and thinking, oh, I'm better than you, I'm superior. <sighs> if I would allow myself to become a recipient of the mercy of God, it would be a whole lot easier for me to love God and to love my neighbors myself. Then I could have solidarity with all others who hurt, right? Including my own enemies. That, that, that's part of the like the part of the the, the, the the majesty of the gospel is that through Jesus it, yeah, the, the love of God releases us to not just love people who are different from us or, or, or people who are like us but sometimes are annoying, but he, uh, he frees us to love our own enemies, our opponents, people we would never be caught next to, right? So, it, but, so in Christ, right, our priority then becomes winning others, right, not dominating them. There's a difference, so, but this, this is what happens. You know, how can the mercy of God change your life? I'm just suggesting a couple of things here, but this is something for, that I would invite you to chew on a little bit. Think about your own life. How could I be changed if I allowed myself to be captured by the mercy of God? It takes humbling yourself. This is part of the way as you follow the apostles. Whether we'll be able to move crowds or not, whether we'll be able to heal diseases or not, what the world needs is a people who are walking the way of humility. So the presence of God's peace, if that is something that we desire, and if we desire to, to somehow uh, imitate it and, and, and represent it and multiply it around us in our time, just as the early church did and just as the apostles did, then we have to walk this path of humility, but we also need to walk this path of comfort. Why comfort? We need comfort because people die. Just to put it plain and simple. I had a couple of pictures here. Um, I think we got them up. Just uh, start with the first one. Uh, one picture that, there's a couple of pictures I took, but uh, which is coming here in a second. So here, We'll stop here for a second. Many of you know where this is. This is in Rome. It's the Colosseum. The early church set to bring about God's peace in the world. And this is where many of our ancestors ended up. Slaughtered for sport in the Colosseum. Comfort. All right, show the next one. This, as some of you know, is in St. Peter's Basilica, which is in Vatican City. This structure before you right in the middle, supposedly, which I think it is truly, uh, several feet, like hundreds of feet underneath this structure, is the grave of the Apostle Peter himself, who was executed in Rome. The Apostle Peter, who we just read about, who performed a miracle, right? As you read the rest of the text and read the rest of chapter 9, you see that he even, the Lord used him to raise someone from the dead. 
right? And, and yet, this is where he, he ends up, martyr for the faith in Rome. Show the next one, please. So this is the Roman Forum, and leading into it right there is an arch, right? The arch there, but then this, is, this one is named after the Emperor Titus. And some of you know the name Titus if you've done a little bit of reading in the, uh, on biblical history. And the reason why you may know about Titus is because Titus is the emperor that destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D. AD 70, excuse me. So, and this was prophesied by Jesus himself. That when he saw a following you, you would see the, uh, the abomination of desolation, right, in the temple, right, you know, that things, something horrible was coming after that. And this is what he was talking about. But here's a, this, this arch is a celebration of Titus's victory over Judea and what he had, what he had done in Jerusalem, right? And so that this is, Look, the people of God have suffered, and others are celebrating over this. We need comfort, right? So, so okay, so look at this. How, how could a movement that, that's supposed to uh, multiply, uh, you know, according to the, the words of Jesus, right, how is it supposed to multiply when it cannot even deliver on its promises in the most ultimate way? Right? And when the apostles were clear. They made this clear as you read them. They're, they're very clear that anyone who comes to follow Jesus, anyone who puts their hope and their faith and their trust in his name, they would not only be forgiven of sins, but that they would, they would receive eternal life. That doesn't look eternal. Right? Every Christian dies, even Lazarus. Even as you read the rest of chapter 9 and you read about Tabitha, right, she, that Peter raised from the dead, she died. Right, so have we been sold a, a bill of goods? One answer that some people give in response to this is that, you know, all the good stuff is in heaven, right? So there's, you know, just what, what, we're, what, what Christians are supposed to do until we finally get to heaven is to try to not make things worse, right? Just, man, it's, it's bad enough, you know, just, just kind of, man, please, just don't make it worse, right? Or, or, and there's this wrong view of heaven that's also out there too, which is sort of the response to this, you know? Like, how is it that Christians suffer and they die and are persecuted and are martyred? Well, well, you know, the, remember that the world is going to hell in the handbasket. And so um, all we need to do then as Christians is to try to get as many signups for heaven as possible, right? That, that's our primary work is you just you know, and hey, look, if we really believed that, we would all st we would stop our jobs, we'd stop working, we wouldn't go to school, we would all be out in the streets just sharing the gospel every single day, right? But, I mean, something tells us that there's, you know, it's not quite right, okay? So, uh, but, but, but then again, you know, after all, don't the scriptures say that uh, we're supposed to store up treasures in heaven? Don't the scriptures also tell us to not love the world? So just don't worry about it. Right? It's just, you know, okay, there's, you know, that, that's how we can comfort ourselves. You know, just remember that. But Jesus rose, and he went to the throne. And after he went to the throne, where he is rightly seated at the right hand of the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit to his disciples. See, they knew. They knew. 
according to the Hebrew scriptures, that the Holy Spirit is the one who was present when, when, and as you read the book of Genesis, he was present in the beginning when everything was formless and void, that um, the Holy Spirit was the one who was, who was making all those things into oceans and the terra firma that we now call our home. And uh, that they, they knew as they listened to God and as they listened to Jesus and who particularly said that God so loved the world, right, that, that he gave his own one and only begotten son, right? He, he said this. He's affirming something here. And when he says that God so loved the world, he's, he's saying this as we understand it. If we know that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that means the Holy Spirit loves the world too. So Jesus has sent to us the Spirit of God who loves the world. Now, anyone who is filled with the Holy Spirit is expected to share love for God's creation. So it turns out that environmental care and justice is actually a charismatic action, right? All my charismatic people in the house, right? Um, but, but, but the crown of God's creation is us. It is humanity. So the Holy Spirit is not only uh, uh, at work creating the the universe over and over again and making it into a new creation, but he is shaping many people, millions upon millions, into new creatures. New people united in sacrificial love under the rule of Jesus, bringing forth the potential of all things in peace and love and justice. So here it is. We engage with the world. Even a world in which Christians are persecuted and may even be martyred for their faith. We engage with the world and we love it to life, even though we will die, because the Spirit of God is with us. The Spirit of God is with us. That is the reality. Right, Saul tried, as you read in the text, Saul tries to win over the Greek-speaking Jews or in other translations, they call them the, the Hellenists, Right, that, which doesn't just mean like, hey, they, you know, Greek was their primary language, but they were also into a lot of Greek culture, right? Um, and so he was trying to win them towards God's shalom, uh, his plan of salvation. And, and the people that uh, he once incited to persecute Christians were now starting to persecute him and they wanted to kill him. And so the, the believers, the text tells us, you know, sent Saul back to his home in Tarsus and, until the riots would, and his, his homeland would eventually calm down. But peace only lasted for a little while, according to the text. But this is also the reality, that we live in a world in which we will not experience absolute peace, but proximate peace. Proximate peace, so a peace that we can sort of, you know, kind of get close to, but never quite get on top of. Right. One the think about this, so just as one species in this in the animal kingdom you know, is, 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 is saved from being endangered, another one becomes endangered, right? Uh, um, virtually, uh, there's, there could be virtually no religious persecution in one part of the world, but then in another part, like Christians are getting killed left and right, okay? And then, uh, you know, the, a child in one part of the world could be thriving, and then children in another part of the world could be enslaved we experience proximate peace, not absolute. But should that make us despair? 
Is all the hard work that we are about, is it useless? What are we supposed to do? We work in comfort, in the comfort of our guarantee, the Holy Spirit, the guarantee. He is the guarantee that we will one day be new creatures in a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, written by Saul himself. He says this. You see before you, while we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us what? Yeah, and that a what? A who? The Holy Spirit. Right? So, okay, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully you guys are still with me. All right, so hang in there. Look at this. I want to say this and kind of, you know, hopefully you get what I'm saying here. But the Holy Spirit has been given to us as sort of a loan, right, until God makes everything right. So, if, so here's what this means. If God doesn't come through with his plan, if he doesn't follow through on his promises, he loses his spirit. Do you see what's at stake? Right, 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 right. You think about this, you're like, well, wait a minute, there's no way that this is happening. But what an investment God has made in his people. What an investment God has made in his world. And this is what should give us comfort. Right, so um, we've read this, this text in here a couple of times for our, our creed um, from the, the Heidelberg Catechism, and many people uh, enjoy this, this first question in this catechism, this book of instruction. It says, the question says, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer says that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God is our guarantee. If God doesn't come through on his promise, he loses his deposit. Is God going to lose his own spirit? I don't think so. <laughs> right? So, so that, that, that's the guarantee. It is, we, yes, we live in a world of proximate peace and we long for absolute peace, but we have an absolute guarantee for the absolute future that the Son of God has won through his blood and his victory. That is what we have, and that is what should bring us comfort, is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And do you begin to see now the connection here to the way of humility? See what encouragement we have to walk humbly before our God. If you begin to embrace the pain of dying to your own ego, right, of admitting that, hey, you don't have it all together, and that you're not righteous within yourself. You need a savior. You cannot save yourself. And the things of this world are, uh, are, are not meant to save you. And as soon as you try to use them to save you, they will actually dehumanize you because they were not meant to do that, right? They were not meant to save you. And so they're, they're, they're going to dehumanize you. Uh, but if you begin to embrace the pain of, of dying to self, of dying to your ego, then you will see just how much God has invested in you. See how much he has invested in all who call on his name. And, and what, what kind of changes, again, can we expect? I mean, one thing that, I, I, that immediately comes to mind is that you become a deeply patient person, right? More willing to, to work with other people that may see things differently than you do. 
Right? Because your comfort is in God. It's not in the success of your plans. It's, it's not in uh, the accolades coming to you. It's not in your promotions. Your comfort comes in the spirit of God himself. He is the guarantee of your peace. And he is the guarantee of the peace that we long for for our world. So we can then be all in, engaged in making a difference in our world each and every single day in our own different ways, right, in our own places, without being anxious. We can be engaged in, in practicing the, the presence of, of God's peace in the world uh, with, without forcing people into our agendas, but actually being free to let the people themselves become our agenda, just as we are with God. Do you see how much God has invested in you by giving you his Holy Spirit? It should tell you loud and clear that you are his agenda. Not what you can do, you. So though we die each day, as Christ calls us to by denying ourselves, taking up the cross, right? Then we, we actually live in and by the Holy Spirit. And yes, it was the power of Christ's resurrection that changed Peter. It was the power of Christ's resurrection that changed Saul. And it is the power of Christ's resurrection that has turned this world upside down and will change it and will make this one day into a new creation. For it is Jesus himself who said, behold, I am making all things new. Christ is still risen. That's the good news, y'all. We may have forgotten that. When we got up this morning, we thought, oh, it was just us. Look, Jesus was already up before you got up. <laughs> right? And he, he got up out the grave, never to go into it again. The Christ is risen, right? And he's, he is risen in solidarity with us, and he is patiently at work within us and around us through the, the presence and the power of his Holy Spirit, who is his faithful presence in the world and our better future. Scratch that. Our best future is guaranteed because of the Holy Spirit. If we would remain humble and patient together in the Holy Spirit, we will find that our ordinary days have not been a royal waste of time, but we've actually been multiplying life itself from now into eternity. Will we let God do it? If so, in your own hearts, say amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we, we need your comfort. We need you to break down our pride so that we can walk humbly before you. And if we would walk humbly before you, Lord, experiencing your mercy, then we also would love mercy. And we also would be committed to doing justice. And these are the very things that you have said is required of us, that we would love justice and do mercy and walk humbly before you. But thank you, God, that you have not left us alone to fulfill your commandments, to live as the people that you have created us to be, 
but you have given us of yourself. You have given us your Holy Spirit as a guarantee. And we ask this morning, O oh God, that you would encourage us, even in the places where we may not even think we need encouragement right now. Help us to see ourselves. Help us to see what we cannot see on our own. And when we see ourselves and we see the, the places of our hearts that need to be changed, and we feel shame, or we feel the, we sense the guilt, and we want to run away from it and try to solve it on our, on our own, would you capture us, run after us, grasp us by your mercy, Make us new, O oh God, not because we are good, but because you are. We thank you. We bless your name. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.